It's Wednesday, December the 6th. I'm Mark Stedman, and this is Morning Creative. Ooh, I nearly forgot how the buttons worked. Oh, good morning. How are you on this Wednesday? It is frosty here in the United of the Kingdoms. Um, I'm coming to you, uh, what is it I used to say in my radio show, live from the centre of the universe directly into your head. Um, Because Birmingham, where I uh, broadcast from, if you like, is in the West Midlands of the UK, the if you want my opinion, the best Midlands, uh, which is in the centre of the country, which is on Western maps, certainly on the Mercator projection, is uh, in the centre of the uh, world. Um, yes, that's just my little thing. How are you doing? I hope you've got a nice uh, a nice drink going on. Um, today, I'm going to have a chat about The Big Leap. Um, I'm going to sort of wrap up my exploration of this book by Gay Hendricks. I've been talking about it in a couple of different media with a, a few different people for a couple of weeks, um, and it, it has been one of those books. I think there's a few... I have to figure out a taxonomy for this, because there's been a few books in the last, let's say, four years uh, that have been ones that I you know I put up there on the on the big shelf as being pretty useful pretty impactful um sort of packed with actually like useful things that we can think about in in all aspects of life um and it's it's funny I think the way I think about books now is much more uh, these kinds of books anyway um is much more around what can I synthesize what can I take what can I mix up in my own um, my own machinery, uh, and see what comes out. You know how how do things filter through my own prism? And uh, so yeah, I'm I'm going to sort of run through, basically run you through the notes that I made as I was uh, reading the book, or to be more accurate, listening to the book. Um, so I've got a bunch of takeaways that are not in any well, they're in order of actually how they appeared in the book. Um, so let's let's crack on. So this is essentially um let's give you the uh, the blurb here. Gay Hendricks is uh well this is a a a, a quote Gay, Gay Hendricks is a great and also great <laughs> Gay Hendricks is a great role model for true success. He enjoys abundance and a deep connection with his own spiritual essence and at the same time has lived for 3 decades in a thriving marriage. Now, he shows us how to do it for ourselves. And that comes from Mark Victor Hansen, co-author of Cracking the Millionaire Code. Uh, So um, it is a self-help book. It is his sort of view on how we crack the problem of living our best life. You know, it's, it's his... This is, again, you know, the stuff filtered through his prism. He's got a very good prism because he's a therapist and a coach. So this is the stuff that, you know, and it's, it's kind of coming from source, uh, coming from the source, which I think is great. Um, it's not something that has been necessarily, you know, because I've read a couple of sort of selfie, helpy type books, which are filtered through someone else, which filtered through someone else, you know, and it's just like, oh, God, you just wanted to write your book, didn't you? <laughs> this isn't, you know, it's okay, but maybe maybe we should just read the the book you know or the books that you're referencing uh but this one is it's i think actually that's maybe what it is it's a sort it's it's a proper piece of source material 
Um, and I think that's that's why I appreciate it. So, yeah, some some sort of things that I I took away. Um, the the sort of central question that he really opens with is how much love and abundance am I willing to allow? And that is a an interesting question because I think I, I have a or I have had a limited relationship or limited amount of time that I'll spend with the idea of the the, the self-imposed glass ceiling or as he calls it the upper limit problem the self-sabotaging thing and I think I mean I know from personal experience it does exist give you a strange example I was bullied a lot as a kid um not helped by the fact that I didn't react well to being bullied um I I wasn't able to laugh it off I became pricklier and and sort of very spiky and I think I became extremely entertaining um as a as a bully bully e as you know as the bullied um rather than you know find some of the yeah you know, I just I just I became rather I think uh as I say entertaining for the for the rest of the of the viewing public um and so you know lots of things I could have done better but not to victim blame myself um <laughs> I remember in my last year of A levels which uh is the the way the way that we do it is you're in um education until you're 16 then you have 2 years of mostly voluntary education although there's you know there's quite a lot of of assumed sort of pressure like it would be unusual to leave school at 16 you'd usually go on and do another couple of years and then you can go off to university um and so i did two years a level and in my second year this is you know 17 um i finally done it you know six years at this horrible school uh, seven years at this horrible school um you know did not have a good time really starting to actually see the the end in sight and i remember being in the common room with my friends and we were going out to uh just to do something fun uh, i think we might have been you know one of the things we used to do was go to uh spend an afternoon in one of my friends house because we had a free period um and in fact i think we might have had a couple back to back and so we'd, we'd have some sort of lunch and then head back there um, and just chill, maybe play some games, watch some TV. Uh, and then um, our friend's dad would drive us back to school and we'd do our last lesson, which was kind of a chilled lesson on a Friday. It was great. It's a really nice way to spend a Friday. And so I think we were maybe going off to do that. And there were some, you know, there were some kids there who were uh, kids, but, you know, they were a year younger. They were in the, the first year of A-level. So they're, you know, I guess into their 15, 16 kind of uh, age. And I remember walking past and I just made a dumb noise. Like I just went as I was walking past. And it wasn't, a you know, a, a, a sort of a, an involuntary compulsion, but it was very much a compulsion. And... Of course, they sniggered, and there was the twin um, feelings, the twin emotions of, oh, they laughed at me, and B, that's better. That's that's what I'm used to. You know, because the, the kids who had tormented me didn't do two years at A-level. They did AS-level, uh, and so they only had to do one year before they went off and did something else. And so there was really no one tormenting me in that last year and so i had to find a way to you know so 
when I hear about self-sabotage, there's a part of me that's like, that seems weird. But then there's a very much bigger part of me that's like, yeah, no, you, you did that. And I think you knew what you were doing pretty early on. Um, I'm not going to spend this this long on every item, but I just wanted to sort of mention that because a lot of this book is about self-sabotage. And it'd be interesting for you know you to think of, uh, are there any moments that you can think of in the in the recent or distant past where perhaps you've, you know, I mean, mine was naked, like it was so obvious what it was literally just the same kind of thing you know making be, being made fun of for being a bit weird and being being a bit quirky then forcing it in front of a bunch of strangers so that i could then be made fun of and thus feel like this is what i'm used to um yeah it's uh it's a strange thing there's a great point that he makes in the book which i really uh, found interesting it's about limiting beliefs uh and and he asks the question what limiting beliefs uh, are you holding on to uh that keep you uh, that keep you safe but also keep you unfulfilled essentially um and he talks about the fact that people used to think that if you went if you traveled over 30 miles an hour it would cause the human body to explode uh, and so i think this came uh into train travel Essentially, there was this fear that if we went over... And it's so strange, isn't it, how these things are often so confident. It's like, well, of course, if you go over 30 miles an hour, the human body, as we know, uh, will explode. It's like, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's so strange how we we create these ideas and they just become so sort of, I don't know. uh, But it turns out that's not true um and and you know it it is a it was a belief that was held in order to keep people safe there's no harm in the belief but it's limiting because it doesn't allow us to you know and obviously some people tried it out and they they discovered that they didn't explode um fortunately enough for, for all of us and so these beliefs that we have are designed to keep us safe they're not designed as as my friend uh, Annie would say that you know they're not des- they're designed to keep us safe they're not designed to keep us happy and that's a big factor in in a lot of stuff is that we have to remember that these you know whether it's negative self-talk finding that upper limit it's all about us being kept safe if we don't stick our neck out we're not going to get it chopped off you know tall poppy syndrome all that stuff and as people living a creative life that's something that we absolutely have to attend, uh, have to think about because we are the outliers. We are the outsiders. We are the people who do the unusual things. Not necessarily great, big, bombastic things, but we are unusual. We are the outliers. And, and that necess- necessarily means doing things that are a bit a bit different doing things that might mean we stick our neck out and it gets chopped off more than likely it doesn't actually mean that what it means is we realize wow there's a whole other world i didn't realize here that you know this lush verdant landscape that i've just stuck my neck into wonderful you know and every now and again you might get you know a, a bee sting or something but more often than not you, we, we extend out into something quite wonderful you know and i said wonderful in such a strange way um these episodes are going long, aren't they? Uh, okay, so this was a big one. Um, I believe I've talked about this a few times now uh, in, in a couple of places, and so this will be, be the last time I mention it for now anyway, which is, as I wrote it down, if you view yourself as a burden, you you will view anything you create as a burden. That's maybe why you don't want to engage yourself publicly, because you weren't a cause for celebration 
but a burden, and thus your creative work will be too. Um, you were uh, effectively convicted of the crime of being born, just something that you had no choice in uh, and you didn't do because you can't birth yourself more than you can um, see your own eyes without a mirror. <laughs> um, so if you can overturn that conviction um, or pardon yourself, even if um, your accuser can't pardon you, then you can make way for your own creative expression. And so there's, you know, I've recorded a video about this. Um, there's, you know, it's 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 a fascinating aspect, I think. And I, I'm lucky enough to have a conversation with um, my parents yesterday about this. Um, and yeah, it was interesting to to hear sort of their their take on it because they had a, uh, you know, they had their own upbringings and, and their own stuff. Um, and I was trying to sort of, you know, think when they figure out what they thought but i think that sense of being a burden is not something i feel like i've experienced but i can absolutely see in the conversations i've had with people that perhaps they did and of course if you thought you were a burden why would you want to make something because you're just making a burden um so yeah I, I i really thought that was a really interesting point and for me that was kind of the central pillar of the book i don't think it was necessarily for gay but for me it absolutely, you know, that was, uh, it's it's big and bolded and there's a, um, uh, the exploding head uh, emoji next to it. Um, some questions about worry thoughts, a couple of questions you can ask yourself, which I think are really helpful. Is it something that can happen? And is it something I can take positive action about? So if you're worrying about something, you can't control it, like you can't control how people think about your work after it leaves your brain. You can't. The, all you can control is how good you think the work is how much love and and sweat and and all those things you put into it that's all you can really control you can't control how it's received only how it's delivered um and so yes it is entirely possible someone may not like your work and in uh about 10 days time i've got uh, a story about that um but you can't control that and so there's no point worrying about it easier said than done i know but i think it's worth it's something I, gay and and i think by extension i believe you can train yourself to and and i'd like that's something i'd like to practice um distracting your mind thinking of it as uh thinking of worry as a tennis ball so you grip the tennis ball tightly because you have control over the worry thought not the other way around you drop it the ball bounces because it's a tennis ball so it bounces back into your hand i.e. the thought comes back after after a moment you hold it you let it bounce again you just you let it drop to the floor you're not thinking about it bouncing you just you drop it to the floor and over time i think the idea is it comes back less or it comes back less uh fervently perhaps and i think that's really valuable uh, as a way of training just do something else have a bit of a distraction because it's not something you have any way of controlling um some stuff about uh crit uh, uh, yeah about criticism um there's something i noted actually which is an interesting thing uh improv teaches us not to uh portray characters who are drunk or high um because their actions are unpredictable um and they are um we can't relate to them um and so it's kind of a way into thinking about who makes who makes critical comments. People who are unhappy make critical comments. Um, people who are perhaps triggered in some way, and I use that triggered with a with a with a small t because uh, I mentioned I'm going to talk about something I, I did not enjoy or did not appreciate. 
um, you know, in, in about 10 days' time, I think, um, I left a, uh, I won't say a blistering review, but I left a wholly 100% negative review of a piece of work um, because it triggered me, because I was triggered by this person's lack of... Um, I think I was annoyed that they had an audience and they were delivering bad advice in a self-serving manner that I could not, that, that you know, I, I had no trust in this person and felt their work was entirely valueless, entirely valueless. And yet they had what I perceived to be an audience. And I think that triggered me. That incongruousness, incongruity, um, you know, was was sort of, again, lowercase o offensive. You know, just how how dare you peddle this unhelpful uh, nonsense and call it a thing. Like, you know, so that person can quite legitimately look at that criticism and go, well, they're obviously, they weren't in a, like, that's out of the realms of what I need to consider because it's so over the top as a reaction. This person obviously was triggered by something and that's probably not me. Now, I did actually mention that it was nothing personal, but I thought the content was valueless. Uh, not, But not that the person was valueless. I did make that distinction. But there's, you know, some other things to ask, uh, some questions to ask around criticism um, is what, you know, if you, if you read a bad review, if you get a bad comment about something you make, is that what, is the person is the thing that the person said true to you does it actually it might hurt but does it hurt because it's true or does it hurt just because it was mean and i think there's a difference there i would like this person to be hurt because it's true no i don't want this person to be hurt i would like them to be affected by the comment you know the review um because it is true that that there's not a lot of you know it was most yeah anyway it doesn't matter um is it again? Is it something you can do something about? You know, there's a difference between criticizing someone because they've got an annoying voice versus criticizing someone because they're giving bad or dangerous advice or they're just promoting themselves and not actually providing any value. That's a big difference. Um, and then, and then the question is, do you want to do something about it? And I think that's going to be the key. You know, this person might read my review and think, "Wow, that was mean." I'm going to continue doing the same thing I'm doing because it's working for me. And that's entirely valid. That person could go, yeah, well, his, his, I'm not trying to speak to him. You know, this guy's got his own thing. Like, I'm not trying to work with him. So I don't need to care what he says because he's absolutely not my audience. So I'm not um, prepared or, you know, worried that I, I have to change anything. Uh, and I think that's, again, a completely valid thing. It's, I've got quirks. I've got um, things that I'm sure would annoy other people about what I do. The fact that I don't edit this particular show. And I've got my reasons for that. But that might be entirely re irrelevant to someone who doesn't enjoy what I do. But I'm not prepared to change because this is the way that I want to make the show. Uh, and there's lots and lots of other things. Uh, you know, a, a great statement um, that you can, or it's sort of a, um, a, a mini mantra I commit to living in my zone of genius now and forever so the big thing he talks about in the book is the zone of uh, excellence versus the zone of genius uh, so the zone of excellence is the stuff that actually you're really good at um, and then the zone of genius is the stuff that feels effortless where you really get into flow where it doesn't feel like work and I I don't know if I'm there with this but it's the closest that I feel because I think 
I, I, you know, I'd like to think I'm good at synthesizing ideas. Anyway, I, I have no intention of going over 20 minutes for these episodes. I w- really want to be purposeful about that because your time is valuable. So we're about to hit that now. Um, bit of an abrupt ending, but as I say, I, I could go on for hours, but this is a daily show. I actually want you to come back tomorrow. I don't want you to be burdened with a, a load of episodes that you don't listen to. So um, we can pick this up uh, another time because I think there's, there's some other useful things. So I may I may come back to this. There's some questions and things to think about. Um, but for now, I think uh, we will uh, we will pop Gay Hendrix in a little uh, in a little can, and we can open that can again at some point. I hope you have a wonderful Wednesday. I hope there was some stuff in there that that gives you some some things to think about. Um, and uh, I look forward to chatting with you again tomorrow. Have a wonderful day. 